Well, thank you, Rod. I want to say hello to Doris Spittler, to Lisa Jones, uh, who's watching us this morning on Facebook. We thank you for, for joining us, even though you, you can't be with us in person this morning. Um, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles. Oh, well, Nick, I just realized just now I did not put those. Um, I don't believe those scriptures, those easy worship scriptures are in there. You may, you, pr- you definitely should have time to get those in. But um, I want to invite you to go to James 1, 19 through 27. Um, we, we will, uh, gonna, we're going to stay put right there this morning uh, in the book of James 1, 19 through 27. I want to continue a series we started last week called about authentic, authenticity. And today we're going to talk about, on this Reaffirmation Sunday, authentic church. And so again, I want to remind you, just we're, we're, it's, today's service will conclude, we'll, we'll take communion, and then you've got the book back there, you can sign before you go, and um, we're going to be having a council meeting following. So I'm going to do the, the best I can, I've said this many times before, to be, to be somewhat brief this morning, um, and so we can, so we can get to some other things, but I, but I do want to this just it just reminds me there was a, a pastor friend that uh, he was he was really sick and and uh, it didn't look like he was going to make it and so he had he had been a preacher pretty much all of his life and, and on his uh, you know in some of his last moments he his wife told him is there honey is there anything I can I can do for you and he said you know that you you've always had this black box this secret box that you've always kept and and uh, I've never known what was in that box. So, so could you bring me that box? So the next time she saw him, she brought the box, and there was three eggs in it, and and then there was ten thousand dollars. And he's like, three eggs and ten thousand dollars? What's this all about? He said, Well, you know, honey, you know, I listened to all of your sermons, and every time that you would go too long or, you know, with a really bad message, I would put an egg in the box. And he's like, Why would you? Wait a second. You mean in all these years? Only three eggs? That's great. What, what, where did the $10,000 come from? He said, no, every time, well, every time I had a dozen, I sold them. So, so I'm going to do the best I can not to go too long today. And I just want, I want to share a few important things uh, before we get to, to our council meeting. But I want our hearts to be open because this is a, um, uh, you know, on, on a Sunday like this, we have to be reminded w- what it means to be a part of the church. And last week, if I can just begin a little bit where we ended last week, I threw out the question, what makes a church authentic? Is it the, the way the church is built, the, the structure of the building? Is it that we keep the, the original brethren model of worship that began in 1923? Is it the, the way, maybe the way we do business? Is it the way that we sing songs or the songs that we sing and what hymnal they come from? Is that what makes us authentic? Or does authenticity have more to do with the people that come and reside? And so, if we believe that to be true, then each one of us has a responsibility, don't we? To be authentic and to be the church, to be the real thing. So last week we talked about what the original model, if authenticity is something that is based off of an original model, it's not something that's perfect, it's not something that is without flaws, but it's something that is what it says that it is because it was made a certain way. And so last week we dissected, well, what's our original model then as a Christian? Is it God? Because all of us are created by God. Is it Jesus? Well, that's a really good model, but the problem with Jesus is is he's even in the full life of Jesus here on this earth. 
Um, there's just some things in life that the Bible doesn't speak directly to where we can't just say, what would Jesus do? Like maybe when you're faced with a career decision or, or how much money to spend on this and how much money to spend on that. Sure, the Bible is very useful for teaching and correction, but it's almost like we need something personal. huh? It's almost like we need God within us to speak to us in circumstances like that. So church, what's the original model for all of us that we shared last week? The Holy Spirit within you. The real presence, the living, moving presence of God within you. We, as a church, on this Sunday, when we consider authenticity, we have a responsibility. And this is... This is deep when you think about it. We have a responsibility to the presence of God within us. Come on, just let that sink in for a minute. Because the scripture says your body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the temple in the Old Testament was something incredibly sacred that, that everything had to be done just right. To, but now the presence of God dwells within you. He dwells within imperfect people just like you and me. And so as we, we get into this word this morning, let's have some reverence for the power of God that is within each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to hear from your spirit. All across this room, your presence resides. And we can say with integrity that your presence is here in this place. But it's here through each and every individual and how much they are yielding to the spirit of God within them. So now, in a message like this, if our hearts would be ones that want to receive and our prayer is for our brothers and sisters that they would receive the power of God. Lord, in a moment like this, on a Sunday like this, we can all be changed. On a Sunday like this, we can all be reminded of who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, your will be done through your spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. James 1. I'm going to read, uh, Rod read just a few verses there. I'm going to pick up in James 1, verse 19, as soon as I get there. And, uh, and, and Nick might be a little late, but that's not his fault. That's mine. I forgot to enter those uh, verses this morning. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen to this one right here. This is an important verse. I had to speak this verse over my life this week. It says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Uh, I want to tell you, have you ever had a moment when you're just like really angry and then you want to make a really uh, quick decision about something? Important life decision about something? Okay, I'm just going to tell you, don't. That's not a good idea. We do a lot of really stupid things when we're mad. And we do a lot of really stu- – sometimes they call it fight or flight. When we get really mad, they call it fight or flight mode. That means your brain – actually, half of your brain actually shuts down. 
And it's, it, it's because it's in that mode where you're either trying to, you've got adrenaline up so high that you're trying to protect yourself or your adrenaline is up so high that you need to flee and you realize you need to get out of this situation. And so half of our brain shuts down. That's, I'm, I'm being metaphorical there, but, but, but psychologically that's something like what happens. And we're not all the way there. And I, I just want to take a moment because that scripture kind of spoke to me this week. And I want to allow it to speak to you because I know, I mean, I'm sure I, this doesn't apply. You guys never really get angry, right? You never really get upset about anything. So uh, don't allow in your moments of intense anger to, to yourself to make important decisions. Dial some things down and be reminded that this is not the atmosphere with which God wants to move. Human anger, it says human anger, not God's anger, not some kind of righteousness. Human anger does not produce the righteousness, bring forth the righteousness that God desires, it says in verse 20. Then 21, it says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And then here we want to read in verses 20 and 22, excuse me, verse uh, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Today, when we talk about an authentic church, I want to talk about three things. The first one, we'll, we'll get to, just put the first one up there. We'll talk about authentic values, authentic worship. And then last but not least, authentic religion is mentioned. But we'll just go back to authentic values for now. We'll start with authentic values today. It says in this verse, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. And the emphasis, even on all of James chapter 1, is on the word, is on what the word can do in your life. Um, we see this, this, kind of, this concept here in James 1 and at the very end here of James 1. Now, I was asked to do an, a, a project that really kind of birthed some of what I want to share today, that really started messing with my head a little bit. I was asked to consider um, what my values were. So I want to ask you to consider that for a moment. I want to ask you to consider what your values are. And idealistically, that's not that hard to do. Because especially as a Christian, right? If you've been in church uh, a long time, you have things that you recognize are supposed to be important values. And it's not that hard. So let, let me give you some options here. Nick, that's going to be slide three. Go ahead and go to slide three. Here's just a few things. And in your own mind, you could create a hierarchy of these and maybe maybe state some of those things. What are most important to you, like money? Maybe it's home projects and renovations. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's recreation. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's power. And power is a strong word. It could be somebody who's just always trying to uh, be an authority, or it could also mean that person with high anxiety, always wanting to be in control and, and having control of a situation. What are your values? Now, as I was doing that um, project, I realized I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this, I'm 40 years, years old now, um, 40 years old now, and 
And, and at this point, for me, just like everyone really I see in this room, except for maybe just a couple of you, you guys are still figuring this out, your values aren't ideals anymore. They're not. They're not ideals anymore, are they? We can't sit and talk pie in the sky of what we like our values to be because you, have already, you are already making choices. You already have a pattern in your lifestyle of what your values are. You can look at your time, the time that you spend, and you can look at when you have to make decisions between one or the other. Your, your values are just like it said, and like we talked about last week when it comes to Jewish culture. And they said, you couldn't say of someone, you could not say of yourself that I have faith. That was something for someone else to say of you based upon your actions, based upon what you do with your life, based upon how you trust God with your life. And the same is true of our values. Now we can talk about them all we want and, and, tell, and make what maybe what should be first, and we're not going to do that in service today because I think for all of us, including me, looking at a list like this can be fairly convicting that, wow, maybe I don't have all of my values right based on my actions. Maybe uh, I have placed some other things as more important than others and maybe what they should be. And I put different theological words so you could wrestle with them a little bit like church or religion or God. Um, you know, where would you put all those? Do you put all those in the same category? Do you put them all above others? But nonetheless, this is meant for us to consider because there's a few people, actually there's more than a few people in Scripture who had some values adjustment. And see, the reason we talk about this is because we shared last week, there is a, in our culture, authenticity is no, long, is, is no longer something that we experience. It's not something we see on cable news. It's certainly not something we see on Facebook. And it's often not anything we really hear from a lot of our politicians or even the people that stand up in a microphone anymore. Everything has become just a little bit fake. And we have to be honest, is this garbage seeping into the church today? And so let's be authentic. And let's be honest about, let's not pie in the sky, theorize what our ideals should be, and let's take a good look and examine what our values actually are based on the decisions that we make in our life. And so, it's, it, I mean, as a pastor, it's always kind of, you know, head-scratching to me at times when I hear people that consider themselves Christians, but yet they never pray, they never read scripture, they never go to church, maybe on Easter, maybe on Christmas, but that's not really one of their values in their life. It's something, it's somewhere on that list, but there are other things that are more important than them, and the problem is that according to scripture, it says crazy things, like unless you change, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, unless Unless you die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So I didn't say that. Jesus did. He's pretty blunt in Scripture about what it means to be a Christ follower and that which we should place first in our life. And so we can be reminded that 
many of us, all of us struggle with this. And even looking at a list like this, and certainly that's, there's nothing exclusive about that list. It's just something I threw together. We could put other things on there as well for sure. But, but in a place like this, a Sunday morning when a man or a woman of God is, is willing and ready to change, we can allow ourselves to have a values adjustment. There's some amazing people in Scripture that had values adjustment. In Luke 19, there's this guy named Zacchaeus who, who was a tax collector, and that was really sick because he was basically a tax collector was somebody that was actually a Jew, which knew uh, was, was a part of the same religion of everybody who, who served uh, who served God in those days, but he worked for the Romans, and so there, he was commissioned to collect to collect money for the Romans. And the, they didn't tell him what he collected on top of that. The way he what he collected on top of that was the only way he was going to make any income. So he went around figuring out how he's going to mess everybody over and how he was going to make profit for himself, and that's what he did for a living. So nobody really liked Zacchaeus very much. And one day Jesus comes to town, and he's a short guy. And so Zacchaeus had to get up in a tree to, to find Jesus, and he heard his message. Jesus came over and had dinner at his house. Zacchaeus had a values adjustment, and he said, everything that I have given, I'm giving back. And anyone that I have, anyone that I have wronged, I'm giving, I'm giving four times the amount. Zacchaeus had a values adjustment. Peter, Peter, used to, Peter was a fisherman. And Peter was a fighter, and people always like to say that Peter liked to swear a lot. He liked to cuss a lot. Okay, yeah, that's in the Bible. Now, so Peter was just kind of this foul-mouthed fisherman. And, and one day Jesus tells him to cast his nets to the other side. And Peter has a values, begins to have a values adjustment. And he lays some other things down in his life for the sake of following Christ. And here's another one that I kind of kicked around a little bit. Uh, Paul, Paul, who was formerly called Saul, was incredibly zealous for the Lord, incredibly religious, and was going around basically killing Christians who were preaching the name of Jesus. And on the Damascus Road, he has an encounter with Christ and has a values adjustment. But here's what's beautiful about Saul is he continued to be passionate. He continued to be zealous, but he no longer had the values. He no longer had the values of holiness and religious pride and now took upon himself love and service. And see, you can be in church all of your life. You can hear the word of God all of your life. And even know the right thing to do and do the right thing. And still not have a values adjustment. And still your Christianity can be simply ideals, or you can have the real thing, which is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, Jonah in Scripture is a really good example of that. I want you to tell, if you, those of you, don't do it now or whatever, you go back and look at the book of Jonah. You guys remember the story of Jonah? Jonah gets in the big whale, and he, he doesn't want to go, and then he gets in the big whale, and he goes and preaches to Nineveh. He does what he's supposed to do, and everybody in Nineveh repents, and God does this amazing miracle. But look at the way that story ends. Jonah's not changed at all. He just did what he was supposed to do. He didn't have a values adjustment. Now, the story is left intentionally 
like Jonah is wrestling because that's the way all of us still are. We're all still kind of wrestling with the fact that God does bigger things than us that don't make make all the sense to us. And are we going to be comfortable with that? So Jonah is an example, at least the story that we have in Scripture. He was a religious guy, but he didn't have a values adjustment. In the case of Nineveh, his values didn't change. So the, the, the question when it comes to values is, can we be men and women of God who allow the Spirit of God to transform us? Or do we want to continue to have our, our values to be ideals and continue to just simply be religious without any change in our life? Now, I'm going to move on to the next one. Authentic worship. In James one twenty three through 25, it says this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I love that piece of it says, it says, looks intently into the mirror. So again, James is emphasizing the word in this passage. So it's as if you, being a Christ follower, maybe being in church most all of your life, have looked in the mirror for a very, very, very long time and understood what it is that God expects of you and what it is that we are called to pursue in this world. (laughs) And so that's what worship is. If you think worship is how we sing a song or, or how are the scriptures that we study? Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what you do with the life that you have been given. Is your life worship to the living God, or is your life worship and all about myself and my own personal agenda and pursuits? And so in this passage, James is saying that blessed are those when you know who you are and when you don't forget what it is you are chasing. You parse this a little bit, Lee. It is blessed as someone who looks intently, blessed as someone who continues, blessed as someone who does not forget, and blessed is someone who puts the word of God into practice, who, who knows who they are, knows what they're chasing, and does exactly what they are called to do. And this church, even as Christ followers, will be important to us. Because one day, each and every one of us will have to face the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what it says in Romans 4. Do you get this verses, Brother Nick? Romans 14, 10 through 22. This is what we call the judgment seat of Christ. It says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And then 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that for we must appear, that's all of us, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done, whether good or bad. In other words, there's a couple other passages on this text. Our motives, our intentions, even as we enter heaven is the theological understanding of this. 
will be tested by fire. And, and I've heard many preachers pre- preach that for what is some stuff will be burned off and it'll be the smell of smoke will be upon you. That we must, all of us, even as Christ followers, will make an account for what we have done with what we have been given. We will have an account for what we have chased in our life. Now again, church, I'm not calling you to be perfect. That's not what authenticity is. But authenticity is being honest and allowing the presence of God to move in our life, to practice authentic worship. And finally, the last one, authentic religion. It says in verses 26 through 27, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word. The world, excuse me, not the word, the world. Now, I usually, just as Jesus often did, I often use that word religion in a negative connotation. But James used it here, so we got to roll with it. Because religion often means doing something because you know you're supposed to, doing something because you've been told to, or, or doing something because your religion tells you to. Now, certainly, there's some value in this, and there always has been value in this, and this was much of what the Old Testament was all about. But today in this dispensation, we are called to serve God first out of love. That means to be authentic, to have a real relationship with the living God. So I don't know if you're like me. On my best days, I serve God out of love. But on my worst days, sometimes I just simply serve God out of fear. Like, I, you know, I'm upset and I'm angry, but I ain't going to run away because, dang, I don't know what's going to happen if I run away. I could die tomorrow, and then I don't know. Did I just lose my salvation because I cursed a God because he didn't answer a prayer for me? I mean, I don't know. I'm a pastor. Maybe you guys don't think this way. You're not that sick-minded sometimes. But I, I serve God out of love. And on my best days, and most of them are my best days, but my worst days, I serve God out of fear. And that's what James is actually appealing to in this passage. And... He says, those who consider themselves who, that religious, but they don't keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves. And he says that those who look after the widows and the orphans and keep themselves from being polluted by the world, those are th- those who practice pure religion. So in other words, what James is saying is you don't need to hear another sermon, really, do you? The point is that man of God and woman of God, you know what you should be doing by now, by looking in the mirror, and you know what you should not be doing. Can I make it any more plain to you than that? We can make excuses for ourselves all the time, but James is simply saying to serve, and James is simply saying for other things in your life to stop. Stop. This isn't working for you, is it? This is becoming destructive, and so a change needs to be made. And so this last verse here looks really a lot like verse 21, where it says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent. The Greek, it's like taking off old clothes. And this is our responsibility. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And then it says, humbly accept the word where? Where's it at? Look at that verse. Verse 1. Who's got your Bible? 21. Somebody say it out loud. Where's it, where's it at? The word that is where? Planted in you. It's actually incredibly powerful what James just said there. It's not talking about this thing that's out here anymore that you've been listening to for so long, but if you've received Christ, then his power is within you, and there's a word planted in you. There's power planted in you. As I shared at the beginning of this message, you have a responsibility to the Spirit of God within you. And when we consider what an authentic church is, this is the responsibility that we're referring to. It all comes down to, are we being honest? Are we letting God work in our life today? Or have we stopped a long time ago? Have we said, I'm good? Um, I'm good with where I'm at. I really don't think I need to change anymore. Religion's worked for me. I'm inviting you to relationship with the real thing, with the living God that is ready to bring power and life and truth to you. That is the authenticity that we need as a church today in a world that is continuing to become more and more fake in many ways. And so, I know this hasn't been the most empowering, encouraging, awe-inspiring message, but nonetheless something that we need to consider on a reaffirmation Sunday. For us to be an authentic church, it has to begin with authentic me. And so let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment as we prepare for communion. There's a lot that we've shared this morning that can serve as a time for self-examination. Do I need a values readjustment? Am I chasing God, but other things I'm chasing harder? Am I experiencing authentic worship, authentic religion? Because authentic religion is now God resides in me, empowers me to do the work he's called me to today. Today, all of us, including this guy standing up here with a microphone, needs some self-reflection. Needs some time to just ask for forgiveness. I just want you to take 30 seconds just to yourself. I'll quit talking and just have a moment just to, to pray to God, to make an acknowledgement. Lord, I hear your voice. And Lord, I want to allow you to do a work in my life as I prepare for communion this morning. invite you at this time whenever you're ready to prepare your elements for communion literal words are to take the plastic off and remove the waiver
Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 11, it said, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes we just come back to the table to be reminded that Jesus is alive. Life, power, peace lives in you. That is the authenticity that resides in you. And Jesus says through communion, through this sacrament, he says, keep coming back for more. I know all your imperfections. I know all the things that you just prayed right now. I know all the ways that you've fallen short. And that's exactly why I said, keep doing this. Keep coming back to the table because I'm going to meet you there time and time again. I am your God and I will not forsake you. Somebody needs to hear that today. There is nothing you can ever do to separate yourself from the love of God. Nothing you can ever do to separate yourself from the love of God. So be reminded this morning to keep coming back to the table as we partake of the bread. We're partaking of a reminder of the sustenance of the life of God within us. And as you partake of this this morning, be reminded the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let's partake of the bread together. It says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim of the Lord's death until he comes. So this is the other side. This is the cup that we receive forgiveness. You know, I always think I, if I could really choose to do communion, I may should, really should do this piece first because it really always comes through the gates of repentance, the gates of what some of you just did for a few seconds a few moments ago, a recognition uh, of, of, of areas in our life where we still need to allow the Spirit of God to work in. So there's still some change that needs to take place. And Jesus already knew that. He knew that you were going to fail, and he knew that you were going to have issues with your own failure. Let me say that again. Jesus already knew that you were going to fail time and time and time again, and he knew that you were going to have issues with your own failure. But he said, I've done something for you. I've died upon the cross for not every sin you've committed before today, but even all the ones that you've done in the future. But please draw near to me and my blood is available for you. But church, young man, young woman, older man, older woman, you must receive this. Jesus didn't see life as a sword, as something to be fought for. He saw it as a cup, something to be received. Receive the work of the Spirit of God in your life. Receive the cup of Christ this morning. As the Church of Christ on that Reaffirmation Sunday, let's partake of the cup together. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living God. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is with us today. And Lord, I believe there was someone that, is, that has heard from you this morning. And there is a change that's 
maybe have been needed to take place in their life. Lord, I pray, God, you, Lord, you would speak to them as they make that change. I would, I would pray they would see you move in, the, in their life. They would, they would have a testimony that whether they share it with this congregation or, or share it with whoever they come in contact with, the Lord is moving in our midst, and when he does, Lord, we must testify of his work in our life. So, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And as we are the church of Jesus Christ in such a time as this here at West Alexandria Church of the Brethren in West Alexandria, Ohio, may we be reminded that our original copy is the Holy Spirit that resides within us under the authority of your word and through Jesus Christ, his son. We are your church. May we humbly accept the word of God that is planted within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this time, your benediction this morning is going to be your reaffirmation vow. So I want to invite you to stand, and your reaffirmation vow will be that last slide there, Nick, on the screen. He's already got it up. And so I'll read this for you. It's already right there on the screen. I don't think I need much uh, explanation here. It says, do you reaffirm your willingness to worship on a regular basis, to serve and share in the church programs? to support the church by your earnest prayers, regular attendance, loyal service, and faithful stewardship as God gives you strength? If so, say, I do. do. All right, we thank you for your reaffirmation and your membership here at this congregation. And I want to remind you, whether it's today, whether it's the rest of this month, um, there's a reaffirmation log. We'd like you to sign with a pen and take that pen with you as your gift, your token to remind you of where you remember at and, and and with reverence, the presence of God that is within you. So with that, we're going to take two minutes, <laughs> a two-minute break, and we're going to launch our meeting. So again, members, we'd appreciate it if you'd stick around. You need to use the restroom. Um, you feel free to do that. We're going to get started with our council meeting in two minutes.